I don't know about you, but personally, if I'm chilling at zone two on an endurance ride, I could eat, I, I could, like, I could eat lunch on the bike. Like, I could just straight up eat a sandwich. It'd be fine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode zero of the Matchbox podcast presented by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Sabin, and today I'll be joined by my wonderful co-host, Andrew Jeanette, as well as Ignition Coach Co. co-founders, Dylan Johnson and Drew Dillman. Now I know what you're saying. Episode zero? What the heck? Yes, you heard that right. Episode zero. So today we won't be covering any real training topics. This is just an introductory conversation between the four of us covering some unique attributes that help us stand out as coaches. If you like what you hear and want us to cover specific endurance training related content in the future, you can drop us an email at info at ignitioncoachco.com with the email title, the Matchbox Podcast Inquiry. All right, let's get into it. So I have a question for each of you guys. What is one attribute that you each carry into coaching that makes you unique as a coach? Mm. Who wants to go first? I'll go first so y'all don't steal the answer that I'm going to give because <laughs> it's probably an answer that everybody's going to give. Um, and introduce yourself first. Um, my name is Andrew. Um, How do you say I'm your last name? Jeanette. That's what I thought. Yeah, I have yeah, it thank in my you. phone not pronounced, or I have it spelled the right way and then... I have the enunciation have in the uh, in the parentheses next year. You have like a diacritic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're the only person in my phone with. That. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. It's it's a little disappointing that you need like that that enunciation. I think I pronounced it wrong so many times that that became the normal, and so I'm like, dang, I gotta really pronounce this. <clears throat> Everyone name. always turns it into like a French name, like Jeannot. Yeah, bro. Jeanette. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but it starts with a J, not a G. It's Jeanette. It starts with a G, but it's pronounced. I like need to a, change like my. I need to change my pronunciation thing then, because I've been saying Ginette. Well, yeah. Oof. Is that That's wrong? Good, but but you spelled it Jin. Listen, man. <laughs> so <laughs> so here here's the truth of the matter is that it, so it's um, my heritage is Lithuanian. Um, and when my great grandparents came over from, you know, it was actually Lithuania wasn't a country when they came over. They came over like, kind of at the turn of the century, and so it was actually still Soviet Russia at the time, because hmm. um, Lithuania wasn't a country until 1918. So on his like import papers, it said ethnicity Lithuanian, um, like country of origin Russia. But anyway, uh, the name was different, and then they. You know, in classic, like, Ellis Island American lore, they changed it. They're like, well, we don't like that, so we're just going to, like, spell it this way. And I don't know, like, what drunk person was working that day that they, they spelt this in, in such an, uh, an unphonetical way. But the point is, is that I don't know that there is a proper pronunciation because some person at Ellis Island just, like... It's a made-up name. Just made it up. Mm. <laughs> I mean, eventually all of our last names are just made up, right? I kind of wonder, like, who made up Dillman? Dillman. 
How Somebody that, named Dill. How, how, yeah, how did that come about? <laughs> Dill man. Dill All right. man. All right. <laughs> We're already into a rabbit hole. Yeah. All right, what was your characteristic? I'm, I'm, like, so excited. You've got me on the cliffhanger <laughs> now. I have no idea what to say. I like to, yeah, I like to build anticipation. So, um, I think, I think my, um, my attribute is, is curiosity. Um, mm. I, I get really... Good one. <laughs> oh, man, it beats mine by, like, a million. It was worth oh. the wait, wasn't it? Dang, I should have went first. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I did it. Um, Got him. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, it, it, I think uh, curiosity is is both the thing that sort of propels my own education into you know like various coaching related topics. Like I hear a thing and I'm interested why it works or what works, and then I go looking for that answer. Um, it is also a thing that I think makes me a better um, coach in terms of like my actual coaching workflow because I'll be curious why a certain thing works for a certain athlete or why a certain thing isn't working. And so that attribute is always pushing me to um, dig deeper on things. And I think without that, it would be really easy to sort of be complacent or to sort of like rest on the laurels of what I already know. All right, Drew, your turn. The only thing I can think of is... Uh, hey, Drew, you got to introduce yourself. Oh, yeah. I'm Drew. <laughs> Hi. Drew, I have you in my name? phone. Yeah, I have you is... in my phone as D-R-U. Is that correct? That is so, that is so correct. <laughs> that's, my, that's the way you spell it when I'm on the street. It's short for right. Droopy. Droopy? <laughs> um... Drew Dillman from Kentucky. I don't know if it's like an attribute, but it's a f- um, more of like, I think, a phrase. Like not getting lost in the forest for the trees. And I don't even think if that's the right way to say it, but everybody knows what I mean. I think I have a really good perspective on things. Like when people get freaked out about little things, I'm like, hey, man, don't freak out about that. That's just little. So I try to take things from a big picture perspective and try to like always take a step back because I think cyclists are very or maybe athletes in general are just prone to like overanalyze so always having like the okay let's take a step back analyze the situation and then reassess I think I feel like I'm pretty good at that like not getting too caught up in the the little details Mm. yeah we were just talking about that we were talking about athletes that get overly obsessed with CTL and ATL and TSB and you know those metrics are helpful but sometimes sometimes overly obsessing about it is not helpful like I commonly like an athlete will always message me and say hey I'm like this seems to be a a common thing like they'll I'm so stressed out about x y and z and I find myself saying oftentimes yeah that's that's like stress we don't we don't track that stress like that TSS but that's still stress on your body so like maybe we do change the workout that day because of that stress because to Mm -hmm. pile more bike stress on top of life stress is just maybe that's too much stress you know so realizing that part of it as well yeah yeah I mean I think that 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 makes you a phenomenal coach I mean it's actually something that I 
I admire about you. So I'm glad that you said that that was your, the thing that's sort of like a guiding principle for you because, you know, being this super curious person, um, in contrast to what you're saying, like, it's easier for me to get bogged down in the details. And, um, you know, the deeper you go, the more questions you find, right? Like, you're never going to be satisfied with your answers. And so, you know, if, if you indulge your athlete in questions of, like, why are we doing this? You know, you can give a perfectly good answer that's, you know, maybe even, like, verifiably true. But then they're going to have a follow-up question and then another follow-up question. And it's just going to go deeper and deeper and it's turtles all the way down. So Turtles all the way down? <laughs> Have you heard that expression before? No, I love new expressions. <laughs> Perfect. You should carry a notebook and like write them down. So, um, a really quick aside before we hear Dylan's, Dylan's answer. Uh, I've always wanted a coffee table book that is just full of um, like historical idioms and their origins. Mm, that'd be good. I love, that, I love a sure, good idiom. I'm sure that exists. <laughs> yeah, well, my birthday is in December and... <laughs> Wow, so close to now. <laughs> well, you have a lot of time to find like not only that book, but the best, best version of what that book could be. That's true. That's true. During the ignition Christmas party, we'll. Oh, we're gonna up. do oh, that. That's, that's a great go. idea. White elephant. <laughs> we should have a Christmas party. Heck yeah! Okay. I went to a business Christmas party once. And it was so miserable that CJ cried on the way home. She was like, I hope we don't end up like that when we're 40 years old. <laughs> like that legit. Really? Yeah. Wow. When I had like a normal, when I had like a normal job and I was miserable, she, we had to go to the Christmas party and it was so bad. Yeah. At CTS, <laughs> we had Christmas parties. One year we went skeet shooting and I never hit, I, I'm so bad at shooting. I don't have a shooting eye. You know how? You know, either your left eye or your right eye is your shooting eye. I don't think either one is because <laughs> we did this thing to figure out which one was your shooting eye and neither one was, was was working for me. I tried both left and right. I don't know. And when then the other... and I first uh, started dating, this would have been like eight years ago, uh, <clears throat> I went to her to visit her family in South Dakota for the first time and her dad took a skeet shoot in their backyard and it took me like seven tries to finally get one. And then I hit like five in a row. I was like, okay, I got this. Allie like steps up with the gun and she's like flinging her hair around. She's like, whatever, pull. And then all of a sudden she just like points the gun and nails it first time. And she is like, wow. one and done, out. That's when you knew. Yep. <laughs> this is the gal for me. I was like, if I leave this chick, she's going to shoot me. And then there was, like, clay sprinkling down. <laughs> I can't get... I'm still, like, trying the to imagine mistletoe. the whole hair flip thing that you just said. Like she oh, it's flipped, hilarious. She flipped her hair before she shot this thing. We've got a video somewhere. <laughs> That's wow. hilarious. He, he hired, a uh, like, a videographer for their first date so he could remember. <laughs> yeah. So he'll, he'll pull that up. Yeah. This, that totally sounds like something... I, ha I don't really even really know what, a, what you guys just said. A skeet shooter... Clay pigeons. That's just the little circles that, yeah. There was a cross race once that was, like, right in the middle, and so you'd be riding, and there'd be all these, like, broken, whatever those are, skeets. Is that how you wow. say it? Like, all over the trail. It was pretty cool. They called it uh, something gun cross. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Hmm. Sounds seems very like American. You get a, seems like you get a flat. <laughs> That's part of the race, man. 
I guess. Remember that that World Championships race where Vanderpool got like I don't know ten flats just for cross. Kept, yeah, people just like everybody just kept flatting. It was just flat after flat after flat. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, it was it was a while ago. It was probably mm-hmm. like five or six years ago. Um, all right. Well, I'm I'm Dylan, and uh, I mean how do the you obvious, say your last name? Uh, it's pronounced Hansen. It's German. <laughs> uh, no, it's pronounced Johnson. I'm going to have to put that in probably... in my phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is probably the obvious answer, but I, I got to go with uh, the science-based thing. I'm a science-based coach, and most of my coaching decisions are, are based on what the research has to say proper training looks like. Um, so... That's a cop out. Come on, I'm just saying that. Let's that's... get to the real nitty gritty. The yeah, real boil that down. <laughs> Are you cold and rational? That's a good answer. Yeah, you've made I a guess. whole. You've made a whole thing on the science based. So yeah, if you said anything else, we that'd probably be worse. <laughs> but but it's an on it's an honest answer. Like I think a lot of coaches say that they're following the science, but and and. They might be in some aspects of their coaching, but I, I literally am using what the research has to say to inform my coaching decisions for most of the time. I mean, not every single training question can be answered by, you know, the current literature. I mean, there's, there's, there's holes in it, so you got to make some educated guesses here and there. But for the most part, that's, um, that's my method. Yeah, no, I, <clears throat> I think that makes sense. And I think in a way that probably helps you keep the emotions out of it, mm-hmm. right? So like you feel like you should do intervals four times a week, but you know that you should only do intervals twice a week. So you're like following mm-hmm. what research shows and all the latest, I don't know, science trends are alluding to. Because like I, I fall into that all the time. I'm like, I get behind on training and I'm like, all right, well, it's fine. I'll just, I'll do four sets of intervals this week. But like mm-hmm. it's really not going to get me anywhere if I if I do that it's just going to dig me in a, into a hole. Yeah. And the other thing, I think it's I think it's kind of a mindset where uh, you know, there's probably some coaches that are very stuck in their ways and that, you know, you know, I'm a sweet spot coach and that, you know, I'm the sweet spot guy. Um and that that's what I do or 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 I'm the polarized guy and that's what I do. But when when your when your base is I'm science based, I mean science can change over time. It does change over time, and your opinions should reflect that. So I'm not necessarily necessarily saying oh polarized is better, oh sweet spot is better. I'm looking at the research and seeing what the current research says is best. So so here's a, a follow up question about that, um, and this would be actually like almost an entire podcast topic to talk about, but um, in terms of following, you know, the current research, um, do you find it challenging or how do you um, choose which papers to, to listen to and which, which to not, right? Because on any given topic, there might be two papers mm-hmm. by reputable authors that say different things, right? Like you have... Um, you know, 
I, I'd better research if this, if this were like an actual episode, but there's like Ronstadt on one side saying like, oh yeah, like all of your intervals should be like Tabata style or they should be like, you know, super stochastic to get VO2 max gains. And, you know, he has data that shows that like that is what happens. And, you know, that is, that does lead to better um, improvements in like powered VO2 max than, uh, you know, like a steady state interval. And then there are other researchers, like, I don't know if Siler says this in particular, but we, we know that he's, like, super big into, like, the 4.8.12 thing. Um, he's like, that's how you improve your VO2 max. So can you speak to, yeah. to, to what that looks like? Yeah. The, the key is that you have to, once you've looked at the individual studies themselves, you have to take a step back and look look at the research as a whole and try to see where the research, you know, where is the balance, where does the balance of evidence lie? Um, so I, I actually talked about this in a recent article that I did for Training Peaks, but I, it's a pretty common conclusion at the end of my videos to say, I don't know, you know, the evidence is not clear. And I'll I'll give that conclusion when it's like half the studies are saying this and half the studies are saying that. And it's really, you know, it's very hard to, to discern what the right answer is. I'll be more confident in my answer uh, if all the studies are pointing in one direction. So just as an example, uh, how weight training affects cycling performance, pretty much every single study done on how weight training affects cycling performance shows that weight training improves cycling performance. So I'm much more confident in saying weight training improves cycling performance than I am for something else where it's like the studies are all over the place, if that makes sense. Yeah, and about, it's like 50% of your videos end with, oh, there's just not enough research. And that's just, <laughs> you're just yeah, being but honest. I, right, exactly. <laughs> You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't lie and say, oh, you know, the, the studies are pointing this way or the studies are pointing that way when in fact it's, it's you know, they're not really pointing any, uh, it, you know, one, you, you should never take one individual study and say, you know, that's, that's what I think. You should look at the studies as a whole. You should look at the research as a whole. Um, it's very helpful to look at reviews and meta-analysis um, of certain topics because that's essentially what they're doing. Um, and, and make a decision based off of that as opposed to, you know, one study. But, yeah, and that's, that's the cool thing, too, is that a lot of times there's not, like, a, like it's not binary. It's not like, okay, this is, this is definitively the answer and this is what everybody needs to do because, you know, as anybody knows who's read these studies, um, you know, the conclusions are based on, on averages and correlations, right? So, you know, there's always going to be that, one dude or gal in the study who like didn't respond to the protocol or right. was like a super responder right so it's um you know these things happen on bell curves and we don't coach just the mean of the bell curve right like we coach like a huge variety of individuals with different physiology and and so it's it's cool that you can have um that approach um but still sort of remain critical um you know and still um, you know, keep, keep, uh, your mind open to like what, what is going to work. And I would think too, and this is sort of maybe going down even another rabbit hole, um, is, is you probably lean on your own experience a lot to like determine 
you know, like with a gut check, like what, what is true. So like if you read two studies that have opposite conclusions, you also can like factor in like what's worked for you or what, what you've seen work for like the athletes who you've coached, you know, and so like you can kind of like corroborate or sort of disqualify things. Yeah, and it does take a certain amount of experience to read a study and because sometimes the study design is terrible. Uh, and sometimes sometimes you read a study and, and you're like, the reason they got that result is because they set up the study badly and it's it's affecting the result. Here, here's an example of that. So um, there's there's been research done on how protein and carbohydrates after a workout affects recovery. And um, what they've done is they've had groups that do carbohydrates only, and they've had groups that do carbohydrates and protein. The problem is that the carbohydrate plus protein group had the same amount of carbohydrates as the carbohydrate only group plus more protein. So they're, they're consuming more calories. And you know, that's, that's a confounding factor right there, because if you're consuming more calories, like, yeah, your recovery is probably going to be improved. And that's, that's what they found. But when they've done the same research where they had a group consume carbohydrates only, and then carbohydrates plus protein, but the calories were even, then there doesn't appear to be an advantage of consuming protein after a workout. So that's just one example. Um, and then what, what you were going back, or going back to what you were saying about how we're, you know, when we're coaching, we're not coaching an average, we're coaching an individual. A perfect example of that that I was thinking of is, is for example, caffeine. If you, look at, if you look at how caffeine affects people on average, it improves cycling performance on average. Um, but there is a, you know, depending on your, on your genes, um, you know, fast, fast caffeine metabolizers versus slow caffeine metabolizers, there are people who take caffeine and it has no effect. And then there are people that take caffeine and it actually has a negative effect on their performance. So just because on average caffeine improves cycling performance does not mean it improves cycling performance for everyone. And that's, that's not the only example of that. Just for everybody out there, because, you know, we're talking to our audience, not just each other. This is how Dylan talks all the time. Like, he's, I've never <laughs> met somebody who 50% of the time he talks, he's just quoting scientific articles. <laughs> so when he says he's a science-based coach, I'm like, yeah, I've never met a coach that can just, like, spit off articles. I'm like, wow, this guy knows his stuff. It's pretty, like, cool. It's pretty cool to be around somebody like that. You're like, man, this guy's, like, this guy's done his research. Do you know oh. that, that meme format where it's like, uh, like Zach Galifianakis and like there's all the equations like raining down in the background? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I imagine when Dylan closes his eyes, it's just like scientific studies just like <laughs> falling everywhere. There's just tables and data, meta-analyses everywhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I guess I'll take that as a compliment. Of course. <laughs> we basically just said you're a robot, but you know. <laughs> if you want that right. as a compliment, then. <laughs> <laughs> right. An unbiased robot. What about you, Adam? What would, how would you say you're coaching? You got to fire back, man. All right. You had uh, all this time so, to think about it. You better have something <laughs> good. So I'm Adam Sabin. Um, 
and I like to I like to get into people's personal life a little bit more when I'm coaching an athlete. I like to understand what motivates them, what they enjoy to do away from training and cycling. Um, because I think it's really healthy to have a balance in your life where you're not just constantly thinking about training or working on your bikes or prepping for that next race. I think it's healthy to have something else to do uh, in your downtime. So I usually survey my athletes and figure out like one of their top three hobbies off the bike and try to incorporate that into their recovery days. Um, I found that when, when an athlete doesn't have something to distract them from training, when I upload a dedicated recovery day, they end up just doing something related to cycling and you don't get the mental or physical break when you're constantly just thinking and doing uh something that's, you know, dedicated training. So I try to like in, on their dedicated recovery days, if someone likes to do, uh, like, let's say they like painting, I'll say like, you know, spend 30 minutes painting today. Don't think about training at all. You know, take this time to work on something else, to put your time and effort into something else that you enjoy. And I found that I mean, we, we all know that recovery is a key aspect of any quality training plan. And I've just found that it's, it's good to have a mental and physical break from training during those recovery days. So whether it's a recovery week, if that's the case, then I'm putting in even more time painting or playing golf or uh, hanging out with friends or going to the movies or something like that. Um, or if it's a recovery day, then I'm putting some kind of note to remind them like, Hey, it's okay to take a break from training today. Like that's what today's for tomorrow. You're going to be better because of it. So that's something that I try and incorporate into my training plans. Yeah, I try, <clears throat> I try to, uh, get a little bit of that in the new athlete form when ignition athletes sign up. The last question is what are your goals outside of cycling? It's probably the least answered question, like, <laughs> like, or it's the most boring response that you usually get from athletes. It's like, it's still cycling related half the time. It's like they, yeah. they filled this whole form about bikes. And then the last question, I'm trying to get at what you're saying, like, what do you do besides ride your bike? Yeah, and, they so say, like and they put in there, like, stay fit. I'm like, no, 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 no. I want something more than that. Come on. Yeah. So like whenever I do like my initial consult with someone, I'll usually try and pry in there a little bit more because the more you can dedicate some of that training time towards achieving goals that you have off the bike, probably the less stressful your life is going to be because you're not going to get to Sunday evening and realize you didn't dedicate any time to that house project or whatever else you had going on in the side. And that's going to make your life super stressful. Now you're going to be thinking about that all of a sudden. You're going to be trying to cram for that. Um, while you're also trying to prepare for your next day's training session. So I like to just give my athletes, uh, you know, the full approval that, hey, today is a day where we're not focused on training, so do something else. Don't think about training. Don't uh, feel guilty that you're not training. Just go and spend time doing that other thing that you have neglected because of your three days training the, you know, the last few days. So... It just kind of, I find that it helps uh, just relieve some of the like mental stress and um, yeah, just, just, I mean, just stress in general. It's like we all, 
build training stress, but you forget that there's like other things going on in life when you're just so focused on looking at training peaks, getting on your bike, hitting the numbers, trying to, you know, follow the plan. And if that plan doesn't account for the time or ability to do other things, then all that's going to get neglected. My dream was, answer. Uh, Go ahead. I was, I was laughing to myself uh, while you were saying all that. Not because what you were saying was funny. It was actually very insightful, but I was imagining like a person. So uh, right now my, my laptop is on a, like, a, like a music stand, right? And it's the same music stand I use like, for my trainer. And so I'm sort of imagining myself you know, on my recovery day, which is today, Monday, um, you know, like doing a painting while on the trainer like, of myself riding a bike, like, winning a bike race, like, stick figure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's, like, so easy to a trap to fall into. Like, it happens frequently. What do you mean, man? Painting um, on the bike? That's a frequent yeah, it's occurrence. Yeah, it's, it's visualization. But is that, is that, well, how is that helping I'm you, taking, I guess? Oh, I'm taking the pictures that are inside of my head, and I'm putting them out onto a piece of paper. So I can like show people like this is gonna be me winning this is what's, bike race. Yeah, it, that's good. Giving them a little insight into what's what's going what on inside the mind of Andrew. That's Jeanette. really what makes me tick is visualizing the win. <laughs> this is way off way off track, but um, <clears throat> visualization also helps with uh, memory retention. And I was reading that Mark Twain. I think it was Mark Twain. Uh, his kids had to remember like all of the different kings and queens throughout all of like this. I don't even remember the country, but like all of British history, they had to remember all the the kings and queens and how long they were they had they held their reign. And so he put up stakes in the ground along their long driveway in the historical order, and he painted pictures of each king and queen. And then for like weeks, his kids would just walk up and down the driveway. And but they had visualized and they like saw those pictures and that helped them remember the whole story more than like just reading it in their textbook. Do you, do you think that like when they came home, they felt like they were going back in time oh, and when they were leaving, oh. they were like going driving to the future? Well, this is the funniest part. He would have them do house chores and stuff like uh, and so he would he would then refer to different spots on the driveway as like, oh, hey. Don't forget to go pick up the rake at uh, King Edward VIII. And so that spot on the driveway was then King Edward VIII or whatever. And that was like that spot because they remembered where King Edward VIII was or whatever. It's pretty funny. I like that. Someone's going to fact check our podcast whether King Edward VIII was actually a real person. Probably not. We don't. <laughs> We're not going to have a fact checker. That's for sure. Drew did not but grow eighth, up at Mark Twain's house. Eighth is it might a, not even a lot of Edwards. Edwards. Yeah, good point. Well, there's Alex Morton, the like 29th in the cycling world. If you guys know him, he's Alex Morton, the like 19th or something like that. It's crazy. Here's another. He, he comes hole. from a very <clears throat> uncreative lineage. <laughs> yeah, right. Did oh, this is another good thing. Did you know that you can be a junior or a third or a fourth, even though, even if it skips a generation. So like, I'm Andrew Mark Dillman Jr. But if I don't name any of my kids Andrew Mark Dillman, but then one of my grandkids is named, they'd still be the third because it's still in the history of the family. Huh. Did not know that. Yeah, it doesn't just start over because then you'd have two Andrew Mark Dillmans. I like that. Um, but back to the like goals off the bike. 
my dream response. Like I want, I want to read somebody's new athlete form, and at, at the bottom of it, I really just dream of like reading somebody saying that they are like a professional larper. Like that's like my, that's at like the top of my list of like, okay, you have other things outside of life. Like they dress up as Gandalf and go fight people in the in the forest. Mm-hmm. What is a light, that, I, larper? I, I've never live heard of action that. role playing? <clears throat> it's awesome. If oh. if I in another life, I think I am a professional larper, but <clears throat> or I would like to be. Drew, but have you ever somebody, larped? No. But I, I am get a one like Drew. When I ride by, I have ridden by people doing it before. Before, and I kind of wish like I wish I had enough humility to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I I can see you being into larping in a second life. Yeah. Yeah. I just want, that's what I want to see. I want to coach somebody who LARPs as their hobby. That'd be cool. I have a lot of questions for those people. Well, I just <laughs> created a clip from that, so maybe we'll uh, recruit some LARPers to yes. our coaching roster. All right, well, there you have it, folks. Episode zero of the Matchbox podcast, Done and Dusted. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions you have to info at ignitioncoachco.com. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for the first full-length episode where we will be talking all about that base. Oh yeah, one more thing. Still wondering why Dylan was talking about being able to eat sandwiches while riding in Zone 2? Stick around till the end for some bonus audio where Dylan takes us down the rabbit hole of 24-hour race pacing. Even though Keegan Swenson is fresh off his record-setting effort at the 24 hours in the Old Pueblo, Dylan still thinks he could have done it better. Alright, see you next week. Let's go! Okay. <laughs> okay. So the harder the harder that you go, the worse your gut works, right? The the you know the less calories that you're processing, right? Taking in calories is is like one of the biggest factors in 24 hour racing. 
if you're at zone two from the very beginning and you stay there the whole time, your gut is working well the entire time and you're, ne you're not gonna have gut issues and you're gonna be able to take in a ton of calories. And the other thing is that when you, when you spike your power super high and you're going, you know, you're going zone three, zone four, zone five, like he was doing on the first couple laps, um, you're, so his gut is working, you know, not nearly as well and you're expending exponentially more calories. Um, like you're using exponentially more glycogen than you would be if you're just sitting at zone two the entire time. Right, so you're falling into a caloric deficit much quicker. Much quicker and also your gut is working much less, which is so important for a race like that. But you can't intake the same amount of calories that you're burning per hour, right? So 20 hours in, you're going to be at a caloric deficit no matter how many calories. Well, right? yeah, you're you going to be at a caloric deficit, but you're going to be at less of a caloric deficit. It so, also depends on how slower. it depends on how strong you are too, right? Like it depends on like a rider with like a 200 watt FTP is burning fewer kilojoules. Like they probably could keep up with it. But if you're Keegan, you have a 380 watt FTP. You know, and so your LT1 is higher and then you're riding around at 220. Like the number of kilojoules is going to be like way more. Like I think that's a big part of why we don't see like bigger racers be more successful in road racing. You know, like that's, I think it's not just a watt per kilo thing. I think it's also that like riders who are big have bigger FTPs to have the same watt per kilo, but they can't keep up with the calories. Right, so if you're limited at 120 grams of CHO intake per hour, like with good gut training, but your FTP is 500 watts, you know, and there there are guys like that, like big dudes, like dudes who are like 85 kilograms could have like a 500 watt FTP, no problem, but like their gut doesn't absorb more food or more nutrition than mine does. Mm -hmm. just, just an idea. Because it's like if you have like the same relative power but way more absolute power, you would think that that would be like good. Right. You'd think you'd see it right. more. Yeah. The only point I'm making is that your gut would be working way better throughout the entire race if you stayed at zone two the entire time. I, I don't know about you, but personally, if I'm chilling at zone two on an endurance ride, I could eat... I, I could... Like, I could eat lunch on the bike. Like, I could just straight up eat a sandwich. It'd be fine. But if I'm at race pace, I can, you know, take in a... Turkey and ham? <laughs> well, I'd probably, I'd probably be throwing up a little while later for other reasons if I did that. But, but like, dude, you know, I could, like, if somebody, like, came, came by me in a car and handed me, like, a bowl of pasta... You know, Terrible. I could I could eat that in the middle of an endurance ride. Whereas if I'm racing at race pace, even if it's a you know if it's a long race, I can I can barely get down a bar. You know what I mean? Like a bar is physically hard to eat. But so if you could eat it though, you're still saying though that you would have less ability to absorb the nutrients because of yes. like blood, like blood being right. redirected away from your there's, gut. There's there's two there's parts, parts of this. Of yeah. Yeah. yeah, both of those. Both of those things. So it's like a practical and a physiological. Yes. You'd physio, you'd, you'd be able, your body would, would uh, be able to process more calories and you'd 
physically be able to eat the calories. You should, even though it's unsanctioned, just go out to the course, <laughs> do it, make a video about it. That actually it would, be, would be a good video. That yeah. would be huge. That would like would blow be. up. Dude, That'd I be like the whole Payson McElveen Quinn I'm, I'm Simmons not, I'm thing. I'm not going to lie. When the, when the race was happening, I was so... I, w I wanted to be there so bad because I wanted to do exactly what I'm talking about right now. Because that would be an amazing video if I actually did it during the race. Because if, if I did what I'm talking about during the race and I actually had the physiology to pull off 111s for the entire race, which I don't know if I have that physiology uh, in, in me. I know that. Oh, Keegan, you do, man. Dude, you got it. Come on. Let's go do it. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't believe know. in you. Um, but that would be the most amazing video because it would be the ultimate like comeback because at hour 12 i would be an hour behind he would almost be lapping me at hour 12. he would be like 10 minutes behind lapping me at hour 12. it'd be like the and madison the be end, cool. and then by the end of the race i'd catch him that would be so All right, cool so this is what we're gonna i'm do. not gonna lie if he lapped awesome. you and then you lapped him twice <laughs> All right, so we're going to go the... to the, the race course at Old Pueblo. Dylan's going to do 111s the whole time in his normal helmet. Drew's going to do whatever <laughs> in a backwards hat. And he's going to be backwards hat Dylan. Mm -hmm. And then we're just going to see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> My only goal would be to finish first after the first lap. <laughs> it, no, my only goal would be to lap Dylan. That would be, it'd him, be like a just pursuit. Just give him crap and then just ride his wheel for as long as I could. That would be awesome. You'd have to do it that way. That would be the most compelling story. Mm -hmm. Or you could just do two 24-hour races in a row. Backwards hat, what? forwards hat, Dylan. Oh. So 48-hour at Old Pueblo? Yeah. 